Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 2nd. The scene is set for another jam-packed championship weekend of action in the pro tennis world. Not only do we have the WTA 250s in Huajin in Lyon, not only do we have a stellar ATP Challenger field in Cleveland, we have so much other action happening as well across levels in the tennis world. Of course, starting this Friday, the 2023 Davis Cup season gets underway. You also have four total challengers on the ATP schedule this week, another WTA 125K event happening, countless blockbuster Division I college tennis matches as well. Case in point, if you're looking for an excuse to binge tennis throughout the course of the weekend, you will have ample opportunities to do precisely that. Of course, what I plan to do here on today's show is recap all of Thursday's round of 16 action and set the scene for Friday's quarterfinal play. Of course, I do want to focus again on three events in particular. We've got the WTA 250s happening in Huajin and Lyon in Huajin in particular. Maybe your best match of the day on Friday is happening at that WTA 250 event as it will be top seed Bianca Andrescu taking on fifth-seeded Marta Kostyuk. Each of those players straight-set winners on Thursday. I want to break down each of their performances, talk about the similarities, which I have expressed before, but we can dive even deeper into those similarities between the two's game styles, between what each is able to accomplish athletically. And then I do want to do a bit of a preview and talk about why I think that match is the most important match on the schedule coming up here on Friday. Of course, I not only want to go through the action in Thailand, but again, over in Lyon, France. Yeah, a couple of top dogs surviving by the skin of their teeth. In particular, obviously, Caroline Garcia drops a very quick 6-2 first set to Ali Van Utvank. Now, the good news, Garcia bounces back and advances to the quarterfinals. And by the way, I was wondering, I speculated earlier in the week, what must the appearance fee be for Caroline Garcia to be playing this 250 event this week in Lyon? Well, I did a little research. I contacted my sources. I found out the answer to why we see Caroline Garcia, excuse me, in action. I almost said Caroline Garcia. Caroline Garcia in action in Lyon this week. So I will divulge that information to all of you. Again, preview Friday. Friday's quarterfinals there, and then I'm now in person in Cleveland, and I will be here the rest of the way for this 2023 Cleveland Open Challenger event. You look at the field we've got going into the weekend, as always, it remains the nexus of things. We love here at Cracked Rackets, I believe, of our eight quarterfinalists, five of them played college tennis. One of them is Stefan Kozlov, who I would argue I am the foremost scholar on all things Kozlov maybe in the tennis universe. That's the first guy I really took a deep dive into back when I was 15, 16 years old, and there was this 12, 13-year-old kid who was having all of this success at the highest levels of the juniors. I'll say it again. I'm pretty sure Stefan Kozlov's the best 12-year-old, the best 13-year-old, the best 14-year-old, arguably in tennis history. The point is, five college players, Stefan Kozlov, six, 
Ebing Wu is 7, and I'm blanking on who 8 is right now, but I promise you it's an intriguing player as well. It's a jam-packed draw in Cleveland, and I want to talk about the results I saw unfold today. Oh, I know who the 8th guy is now. It's two-time Kalamazoo champion Zachary Svida, who was very impressive in a straight-set victory over Alex Mickelson-Kozlov, a straight-set winner. I got to be there for the entirety of Sandgren versus Brandon Holt, and having watched just about all of Brandon Holt's All-American career at USC. Of course, Holt has won main draw matches at the past two hard court slams, Australian Open, U.S. Open. He's worked his way into the top 200. I now understand why. I see what's changed in Holt's game, what's allowed him to take that next step. That said, again, Sandgren, ultimately the three-set winner. I want to talk about what allowed him to do precisely that and then again offer you an update on everything else happening at your three other challenger events going on this week of course the reason we're able to do all this set the scene for another championship weekend in the tennis world is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and of course because of the support we get from our dear friends at tennis point remember for all the greatest equipment at all the best prices just go to tennis-point.com today use our promo code cr15 to let them know we sent you there you'll also get 15 percent off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls tennis-point symbol not the spelling tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, I do want to remind all of you listeners, I'm going to sneak in one more plug here for all of your college tennis content throughout the course of this 2023 season. Head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, and that feels relevant to bring up now because certainly on the Pro Tour, players like Ben Shelton, J.J. Wolf, Cam Norrie, Danielle Collins, Jennifer Brady, you look on the double side of things, Rinky Hijikata, Desiree Krawitz, and I can go on and on and on, Louis, uh, Luisa Stefanini, the plethora of players who are going on to pro success from the college ranks, it's it's not just a fad. It is a full-on trend, and in case you are wondering why that might be happening, what does the level of college tennis actually look like? Why are these players being able to Uh, How are they being able to propel themselves to the next level by using college tennis as that pathway for development? Well, the good news is, again, we're going to be covering all of the biggest college tennis storylines. We're going to be pointing you in the direction of who those next breakthrough players may be. And then, of course, we get to cover all the best results get to broadcast so much of the action as well throughout the course of the year here at Cracked Racket. So for all of your college tennis content needs, Great Shot Podcast will be the place to hear recaps our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel just about every weekend, Thursday through Sunday, through the rest of of the college tennis season, we will have some sort of broadcast for you on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, so be on the lookout for all of that. With that said, I apologize. That intro was far too long. That is a clear display of the state of my brain entering this evening's podcast. We were on the road for four and a half hours today, had to do plenty of fun things in Cleveland as well. That said, we would never leave you Cracked Rackets listeners hanging without a podcast episode. So, 
without further ado, enough filibustering. Let's get to it. Here are my thoughts on another championship weekend in the pro tennis world. Let's start with that WTA 250 action happening in Huajin. It is going to be the site of the match of the day on Friday as Bianca Andreescu will take on Marta Kostyuk. You look for Andreescu was a 6-2-7-5 win over Anastasia Zakharova, uh, the talented, one of many talented young Russians right now on the WTA Tour. Here's the biggest thing for Andrescu. Yes, she had a day off between this round of 16 match and her round of 32 straight set win over Harriet Dart, but what's something we've seen so rarely from Bianca Andrescu over the last 52 weeks? Yes, we've seen flashes in the pan, but match over match excellence, that's been the thing that Andrescu has struggled with throughout the course of this season, throughout the course, I should say, of really her last 52 weeks. And, you know, you look for Bianca Andrescu now, who's 20 24 and 15 overall in her last 52 weeks. By the way, that 39 match mark, that's the second highest number she's played in a 52-week span. She played 45 matches in 2019, 37 and 8 overall, which by the way is freaking ridiculous considering she was she turned 19 years old halfway through that 2019 season, but you look for her again over the last 52 weeks, 24 and 15 overall. You know, she's played now 16 total events. In, in, in the amount of events where she has won more than one match consecutively, seven. She's won, you know, again, now in terms of first round losses for Bianca Andreescu over her last 52 weeks, she only has one. A first round loss in San Jose is her only first round exit over the course of the last 52 weeks. And by the way, that loss in San Jose, four and two to eventual finalist Shelby Rogers, who played lights out tennis throughout the course of that event. Here's the thing. Again, Bianca Andreescu is winning first matches. She's putting herself in a winning position. That said, when she faces a higher caliber player or, again, sustaining that first match level as the week progresses, that's been the issue for Bianca Andreescu over the last 52 weeks. And that's why it's encouraging to see her not only win multiple matches this week in Huajin, but the fashion in which she does it, you know, beating Harriet Dart three and four. Yes, she was broken three times in that match, but she was never trailing on the scoreboard, you know, at worst she was down a break and immediately was able to get that break back. I think the thing that was most impressive against Zakharova was how much front running she did throughout the course of that match. And, you know, for Andrescu, it really felt like the result was never in doubt, particularly even in set number two. And Andrescu ultimately breaks either at love or 15 to get that, uh, to win the penultimate game before she serves things out. There were just, again, Andrescu was just simply put better than Zakharova at just about everything. And not at just about everything, at everything that you can do out on the tennis court. And to see her execute that with uh, so fluidly, so consistently to see her separate herself at the end of the second set to get off court in that straight set fashion because we know how tricky three set decisions have been for Bianca Andreescu over the course of the last 52 weeks. And for what it's worth, again, 24 and 15 overall, she's played 15 three set matches during that stretch of time. 
The big thing for Bianca Andreescu, when was the last time, if ever, she was a number one seed at an event? Is this the first time in Bianca Andreescu's career that she has been the number one seed in a tour-level event? You look overall. In fact, I believe it is. I have Bianca Andreescu as a number two seed in her career. She was the number two seed in Montreal. Oh, no, she was the number one seed in Strasbourg, May, tw- uh, May 2021. So this is just the second time in her career that she's been the number one seed at a tour-level event. And for what it's worth, the last time this happened in Strasbourg, she lost quarterfinals to Serana Kirstea, a match that unfortunately she was forced to withdraw from. Now, I think the biggest thing for Andrescu, again, outside of winning consecutive matches comfortably and she was able to play first strike. She won 76% of her first serve points. She faced one break point throughout the course of the match. She was on a front foot. Again, Andreescu was better at all aspects of the tennis than Zakharova today. So there's not that much match-in, match-out intricacies. That many There aren't many match-in, match-out intricacies for me to break down today. But it was, again, the consistency of Andreescu's performance that she was able to get that final break at the end of the second set to separate herself to follow up, again, two straight set wins. It's just, what, the seventh time in her last 16 events that she's been able to win multiple matches in the same event. The big news is now Bianca Andreescu, 52 weeks consecutively, has played what, 16 of those of the 40 weeks on the calendar? She's playing every other week now. That's about as frequent as we have seen from Bianca Andreescu at any stage of her career. And, you know, you look for Andreescu, she's, she served very well this week. She's, you know, again, match number one, she made 74% of her first serves this week. She made, uh, in match number two, she made 60% of her first serves now. It is worth noting these courts in Huajin are particularly slow, and that seems to help Andrescu, who's a heck of an athlete anyways, but it's damn near impossible to get a ball by her right now, and she is still one of those players who, through her combinations of opening up court positioning for herself through the angles and you know the cross-court uh, court space that she can open up between that and the combination of the power that she does possess when she wants to step into a ball and fully turn into it. She's one of the few players in the draw who has the ability to hit through these Huajin courts and, again, into the quarterfinals fairly comfortably, has yet to drop a set. The last time Bianca Andreescu made a semifinal at the tour level, Bad Hamburg, June of last season, the last time she made a semifinal in a clay court event. I don't know if, uh, excuse me, in a clay court event, in a hard court event, uh, was back in Miami. 2021 when she made the final of that event before getting knocked out by Barty. So it's been a little bit since Bianca Andreescu has flirted in this stage of an event. And look, for Bianca Andreescu, she needs the points, right? She's trying to solidify her top 50 spot for Andreescu to get to the quarterfinals here. Puts her from number 42 all the way up to number 39 in the WTA Live rankings. That just ensures she's getting into Indian Wells. She's getting into Miami on her own ranking. She's getting closer and closer to being seated once again at the slams. And, you know, it is worth remembering Bianca Andreescu is still just 22 years old. She's dealt with so many injuries. It's hard to judge her body of work thus far because things have been so start and stop. The biggest thing for me is at 22 years old, you still see the moments of transcendent tennis. And has she been able to capture it as consistently as she did in 2019? No, obviously she has not been. But you still see enough flashes that you remain intrigued. And that's why tomorrow's quarterfinal again against Marta Kostyuk 
is so intriguing. And for what it's worth, Kostyuk was also front-running for the majority, for all of the match in her 3-6 and six win over now Hibino, and I think went up a 4-0 lead or maybe even a 4 It was either 4-0 or 4-1 in the first set, maybe 4-2 in the first set, pulls away from there, is up a break early in set number two, is holding on to that break of serve lead. Then all of a sudden, Habino breaks her. All of a sudden, Habino is in a position to close out the set. She had a couple of set points in the second set breaker. And what did Marta Kostyuk do? She didn't panic. She fell back on that underlying athleticism that makes uh, the Ukrainian such a captivating young talent. And of course, Kostyuk has felt like a part of our lives now for a couple of years. And that makes sense given you go back uh, to whether it was the 2019 season when she ripped through the ITF level, certainly 2021 when she made the fourth round of Roland Garros, she got came to the attention of more broadly the entire tennis world. But look, last year was a struggle, and a lot of that had to do with what she as a Ukrainian was, of course, dealing with the war at home and the uncertainty surrounding her family, their safety. You can completely understand why Marta Kostyuk wasn't able to play her best tennis in the 2022 season. Well, she's refound that best tennis here to start 2023. And, you know, much like Ju Lin, she qualifies, makes the quarterfinals of Adelaide 1, good wins over Rabakina. Sheriff there plays own Shabur fairly closely. Good wins over Nisimova Gadecki to get to the third round of the Australian Open. And then again, she goes through into a quarterfinal here in Huahin. So, Third round Australian Open, two quarterfinals under her belts as well, belts, belt as well, eight and three overall on the season. She did lose in Adelaide qualifying Adelaide 2 to Shelby Rogers, but that's a top 50 loss. I wouldn't describe that as a bad loss. And I mean, again, you look for Marta Kostyuk, obviously she's made a second week at a slam, but in terms of total quarterfinals she's made in her career at the tour level, this is just the eighth quarterfinal of her career. She's made two in the first five weeks of the season. She had made six prior in her career. Smells like a breakout candidate in this 2023 season. If we end the year and Marta Kostyuk is in the top 30 with the combination of athleticism, weaponry, creativity, explosiveness that she has... Would that surprise anyone? And I mean, you look for Kostyuk, she's back up to number 56 with her 8-3 and three start to this year. And, you know, again, you look for Marta Kostyuk from a hold percentage, break percentage perspective. Her best tennis, this year she's holding 73.3% of the time. I think that's probably a little bit over where we expect her to be, but I expect her to be a league average server, if not a little bit better than that, you know, holding 71 to 74% of the time, finding herself in that top 25 range. And then throughout the course of her career, you know, 35.6% break percentage back in 2021. Uh, and, you know, thus far she's breaking 41.2% of the time this year. She's flirted, you know, in that number, certainly at the ITF level, it, it, it's it's a direct testament to, again, how well-rounded her skill set is. Explosive through the backhand, explosive through the forehand, comfortable volleying. Uh, not comfortable volleying, but a willing volleyer, certainly. I don't think she quite has the craft at the net of Bianca Andreescu. Not quite as much action on that first volley from Kostyuk, do I, though I don't think, do think they're both exceptional at hitting the overhead and getting back for that ball. Look, when I look at their matchup tomorrow in Huahin, I think the speed of the surface and both of these players do possess that elite quick twitchiness that they're each capable of hitting through uh, these slow courts. I'm leaning Andrescu 
I just think Bianca's serving a little bit better this week. Although, again, you look for Kostyuk against Tabino. Uh, in each of her matches, she's been broken three times. Here's the big issue. Kostyuk made 52% of her first serves in match number one, made 46% of her first serves in match number two. You just can't float second serves. You know, you're not playing Habino anymore. You're not playing Liang anymore. You're taking an Andrescu who's going to be inside the baseline on top of that service return, have you on the full stretch just to extend the rally to a fourth shot. And then, you know, Andrescu can be so unpredictable and can incorporate so much variety in her approach shots. I just think Andrescu's serving better. And in a matchup where there's a lot of parity, Kostyuk's played better through the first five weeks of this season. They're both equal athletes who I don't think will be overwhelmed by the pace of one another. Give me the better server right now. I test says Andrescu is going to win this match. Percentages Andrescu a 61% favorite. I'll go Andrescu 5-5. Five and five. This one could absolutely go three sets though. And honestly, if it does go three sets, I might take Marta Kostyuk because Marta Kostyuk is fit as hell right now. Like she is explosive. She's fluid. She's moving really, really well. And so, again, third set match, I go Kostyuk. I think Andrescu escapes in a tightly contested 5-5 five and five battle. But look, it's, it's, it's a really fun set of quarterfinals. Obviously, I mentioned Kostyuk's hot start in comparison to Ju Lin. Well, Ju Lin's going to be in the quarterfinals, taking on tomorrow's Zidanezic. That match going to be extraordinarily physical. Ju Lin's going to be a little bit more patient than Fruvertova was against Zidancic in the round of 16. She'll absorb. She'll redirect. I think she's going to like that Zidancic inside-out forehand into her backhand to take down the line. I lead Julin because she's playing so well. But again, a slow, high-bouncing surface is precisely where Tamara Zidancic has always thrived. I'll take Serenko over Maria. Serenko looked really good in her three-set win over Kalinskaya. And then I'll take Wang Xinyu over Heather Watson. A lot of firepower. In that match, though, certainly. And as of right now, Andrescu, 32.5% favored to win the title. You then have Serenko, 21-7. Kostyuk, 15-8. Ju Lin, 12.7. After that, she is currently the favorite to advance to the final out of the bottom half. That said, that's your action in Hua Hin. I'm going to go a little bit quicker through the action in Lyon today because, you know, again, Caroline Garcia was pushed to three sets. That said, it was ultimately a 2-6, 6-love, six, 6-1 six, win for Caroline Garcia. And the biggest story here, why is Caroline Garcia playing this event in Lyon? It was something that truly confounded me because you have a Caroline Garcia who I know she has very few points to defend in this first half of the season. I know she has a million points to defend in the back half of this season, but why play a 250? How does that make sense? Well, it makes sense when you're in your hometown and you are a majority, if not, I don't know if it was majority or minority, but she is certainly a part owner of this 250 event in Lyon. And so, hey, you want to put butts in seats? You want to make us a, a little profit for yourself? You know, dip on both ends of the wheel? Play the event. Be the superstar that brings the home crowd and brings the captivating attention to the event that you own. And go out and win a title as well as a side benefit. Who doesn't like a side benefit now Garcia came out extraordinarily sloppy. The return of serve was all over the place in set number one uh, against Van Utvank. And yet, you know, the first serve percentage was, I think, 43% 
in set number one as well. And then, you know, slowly but surely, she steadied the ship. Ultimately, you look for Garcia, who I believe went unbroken the rest of the match, sets two and three, wins 73% of her first serve points overall. Once the aggression clicked, Van Utvenk, just from a stroke production standpoint, her eastern forehand grip, her lack of elite fluidity moving laterally, I mean, Garcia just worked her around the court, and Garcia was clearly the better player, but still, I mean, again, for Ali Van Utvenk, 6-2 for, it was just a weird match, it went very, very quickly, and so credit to Garcia into another quarterfinal for Caroline Garcia, it happens to be uh, her seventh, eighth quarterfinal, excuse me, eighth quarterfinal for Garcia since this since the start of June 20th last year, so in the last six months, she's made eight quarterfinals, yeah, that's how you find yourself, a top 20. 10, I should say top 10, top 5 player in the world as she is. And by the way, she could win the title this week. She still won't catch Jessica Pagula, but the gap between Garcia in 5 and Coco Goff in 6th is nearing 1,000 points. And again, considering Goff has French Open title, uh, French Open final points to defend, Jessica Pagula has so many points to defend throughout the first, throughout the duration of this season. Jabur... She's got those U.S. Open final points, but she's got that Madrid title to defend coming up shortly as well. Sabalenka had such an up-and-down year last year, and her points begin to come off when Garcia's does. So I don't know if Caroline Garcia is going to be able to pass Sabalenka short of winning Indian Wells, winning Miami. But man, we could have Caroline Garcia as the number three seed. Probably the next three majors we'll see this year. I guess it depends how Cincinnati goes for her as well, that U.S. Open. But at the next two, like Garcia's going to be a top 10 player in the world for a while. That's just how the points are constructed, and uh, that's how the points are protected for her. And again, she's the overwhelming favorite, 42.3% to win this event in Lyon. She'll take on Jasmine Paolini next, the big-hitting Italian straight-set winner over talented young Russian qualifier Erika Andreeva. Of course, you've got the battle of former top juniors in the world, Linda Naskova taking on Kami Osorio. God, that's a delight. That's a tasty quarterfinal. That's the undercard to Andrescu Kostyuk would be that Osorio-Naskova quarterfinal. I like the backhand of Naskova. Osorio loves to hit her forehand down the line. She loves to hit that ball inside out as well to try and overwhelm her opponent, but the heavy topspin Osorio likes to hit with I mean, again, that's going to be right in Naskova's strikes, and I just wonder how effective the slices and the angles of Osorio will be when she's being overwhelmed by the relentless aggression and line drive tennis of Linda Naskova. So I'd lean Naskova in that matchup. The numbers say she's a 58.3% favorite as well. Kvinich first Parks. That's very fun. Kvinich a three-set winner, as was Parks. But look, I mean, indoor hardcourt, give me the 120-mile-per-hour bombs that Alicia Parks can hit on the first serve point in, point out. Shout out to Marina Zinevska, 2-0 over second seed Jung Shui. Zinevska's played really good ball of late, and I always equate the Belgian to a better uh, McKenna Jones. Shout out to the former UNC NCAA doubles champion. But, I mean, I imagine that reference is lost on many of you mini-break listeners. You look for Zinevska, though. The big thing, since the start of May last season, she's now made seven different quarterfinals, four of them at the tour level. You look for her overall in her career tour level quarterfinals uh, for Zinevska. She's made six overall in her career, four of them 
have come since May 2022. All of them have come since 2021. That's called peaking late for the 29-year-old Zinevska, who, again, with this run, now finds herself all the way back up to number 83 in the live rankings. This means you're playing the slams this year, which as a veteran, those are the paydays, the paychecks you're looking for at this point of your career. She's taking on Anastasia Potapova. Potapova three-set win over Clara Burel. Potapova, I think, rolled her ankle pretty well badly in that round two match. So I'm not sure if we're even going to see her tomorrow against Zinevska. I would lean Zinevska because if you're not healthy, Zinevska is just going to make your match, a, a, your day a living nightmare. And so I would lean Zinevska, but again, uh, it's still a very fun battle that we've got going on in Lyon. And as of right now, Caroline Garcia, 42.3% favorite. Neskova, 13-1. Alicia Parks, your favorite by a hair to advance to the final out of the bottom half of the draw right now. And I'll tell you what, Garcia versus Parks in the final, at least one breaker. A lot of holds of serves with the firepower we bring to that match. But, of course, that's your two WTA 250 updates. Again, there's that 125K happening in Cali. Nadia Podoroska has been the overwhelming favorite according to Tennis Abstract, from the start of the event. Now, she was almost knocked out, dropped her first set of the tournament 6-4 to Carol Monet, but ultimately threw in three sets. She'll take on uh, Fernando Contreras Gomez, uh, the only, they're the, one of two only remaining seeds uh, in the draw. Uh, so, Paderowska, again, 38.8%. Um, Favored to win the event, favored to beat Contreras Gomez as well. The two seed, Laura Pagosi, still alive. She's 17.7. She's your second best favorite. And again, this is that opportunity 125K for players like Comegna, Arango, uh, or Machea uh, to make their push into the top 150, into the top 100 with the points that a 125K event provides. That says that's your WTA action on the ATP side of things. The one I'm focused on, of course. The action in Cleveland, and look, tomorrow is going to be a Cleveland-centric show. I, I will, I'm going to switch the order of things, but let me just start with Brandon Holt versus Tennis Sandgren. Sandgren, a six-three-four-six-six-two victory over Holt. You look for uh, Sandgren, excuse me, for Tennis Sandgren. Now he's back up to number two thirty-five in the live ATP rankings. Has made quarterfinals now uh, at his first three events, all challengers of the season. Watching Sandgren in person, guy's a monster physically. I mean, look, regardless of his political views, which we're not getting into today, um, but regardless of those political views, watch him play the tennis. His play the tennis. His serve out wide on the do side is special. Like just his ability to find that spot, his ability to actually cut the ball from the outside and have that ball moving out, you know, away from the player and outside of the alley, and how much just court space he he opens up for himself with that slice serve out wide. That's the that's the table setter that sets up the plus one forehand for a guy who doesn't have elite pace. But you know, again, you're not going to find an ounce of fat on Tennis Sandgren's body. Guy's legs are freaking ridiculous. It has me reimagining what might be possible athletically in my 30s because, you know, again, he's sliding everywhere. He's pulling the splits, getting his racket. With, you know, if he gets his hands on the ball, just strong enough to get that racket back, uh, ball back over the court. Now, credit to Brandon Holt, who was actually the aggressor in this match and just too many errors for Brandon Holt. To start set number one, he went down an early break. To start set number three, went down an early break. But he was relentless. And look, Brandon's not the biggest guy 
six one, maybe, maybe six two, you know, 160, 170 pounds, but you know, A, he's always been a guy with very fluid ground strokes, very concise, condensed back swings, able to absorb, redirect pace extraordinarily well. What he does so much better is he is leaning into his shots. Brandon Holt is making sure his momentum is consistently moving forward. He's consistently taking that ball just a little bit on the rise to take a little bit of time away from you so he can, you know, flatten things out and hit down on that ball just a little bit more than you expected. I've been so impressed by what I, I was really impressed by what I saw by Brandon Holt today, who's a good, not great mover. Very good at anticipating, changes directions well. You know, again, movement will never be an issue for Brandon. Is he an elite quick twitch fiber, you know, quick twitch athlete? No, it's it's Tommy Paul 0.85. That would be how I describe Brandon as an athlete, where he's pretty solid all around. But the way Tommy's elite as an athlete everywhere, Brandon's just probably two tiers below that, uh, but still really well-rounded athlete. Again, rock solid on both wings, very willing volleyer, thought he moved forward well, thought he had better pace on his second serve. Again, mixes up his spots well, though I like his flat into the body, just how difficult it is to deal with that ball and do anything, but just pop it up and give him an easy first strike chance. Man, Brandon played well, and I get now why he's won main draw first, uh, you know, first round matches at the past two slams we've seen competed, why he's into the top 200 for the first time in his career, starting to have so much more success at the challenger level as well, although for what it's worth, Brandon Holt has still yet to make a challenger final in his career into the top 200 anyways. That's a testament to the qualifying success he has had of late. But look, Sandgren, two quarterfinals to start the year. He lost to a guy who's been one of the rising stars of this 2023 season in the talented young Frenchman, Arthur Cazot. Two three-set wins for him to kick things off here in Cleveland. He's been hitting the serve extraordinarily well. He talked about, I'm, he, he said, I'm fit as fiddle. I'm, I'm just locked in again. I'm focused in a way I hadn't been in a couple of years. And look again, physically, Sandgren's just a really tough out. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do everything right. You're going to have to beat him. He's not going to beat himself. And so, you know, again, I was a really I was impressed by the physicality of Tennis Angren, who still has that gear in him, and he's going to need it again tomorrow. He's sticking on a ball machine in Zach Sfida, who just said, you know, your first strike is cute, Alex Mickelson, but this is the big leagues, and I'm not going to give you short balls. Like, you get better be able to generate some offense on your own outside of the serve. You're going to have to work me to the corners. I'm not going to create these easy opportunities for you to just change directions on a whim. And Sfida worn him down. And in particular, Sfida played through the forehand pretty consistently, and just Mickelson wasn't quite able to generate the easy opportunities. Although he was down a break early in set one, gets that break back for five all. But once Sfida took the first set breaker, you could see he got a little bit more comfortable changing directions from the baseline. Just did a great job dictating to Mickelson. And so ultimately, again, Mickelson breaks back for five all. Svita takes the last two games of the set, takes an early break in the second, and kind of pulls away from there. So 5-3 and three win for Svita to set up that battle with Sandgren. I mean, look, listen to these battles. Former All-American at USC, Emilio Gomez, taking former on former Kentucky All-American Gab Diallo. The GOAT, Steve Johnson, taking on former Illini All-American Alexander Kovacevic. Tennessee, standout tennis Sandgren, taking on two-time Kalamazoo champion Zach Svita, and then the contrast of style, the big bang and baseline tennis of Ebing Wu versus the creativity, the consistency, the 
thriving and uncomfortable nature of Stefan Kozlov's game where he just takes away the thing you want to do most. You just end up playing that slow, mucky Kozball. Fantastic contrast of styles, the speed and physicality of Gomez versus the weapons of the six foot seven Gab Diallo, who I watched practice today. It is laughable how easy it is for Gab Diallo to generate pace. Gomez is a 55.8% favorite. I lead Diallo on these indoor hardcourt conditions. Stevie J versus Kova. Two guys who want to hit a lot of serves, a lot of forehands. Sangren, Svida, physicality. Kozlov, Wu, the contrast. As of right now, Ebing, 41.5% favorite. Stevie next at 19.8. But again, I will have full breakdowns of all four Cleveland Challenger matches for you tomorrow. That is my promise to all of you listeners. That said, uh, again, to just quickly run through the rest of the Challengers, Rinki Hijikata is cruising towards the top 100. Did you know the former UNC All-American 2023 Australian Open men's doubles champion? He's up to number 137 in the live rankings as the 21-year-old. That is pretty damn good. And that was a sneaky quick rise for Rinki Hijikata considering, you know, 54 and 28 over the course of the last 52 weeks, 21 and 18 at the challenger level now over those last 52 weeks. He's reached at least the semifinal, at least the quarterfinals five times, four different semifinals, the one challenger title. And yet again, you win a first round match at the Australian Open on top of all that challenger success. Yes, he's got a lot of ITF points coming off of his resume over the course of the next year. But guess what? One first round win, two wins at a challenger, and you re- you cover the points for like three ITF events. So, look, credit to Rinky, who has done it the hard way, played a million matches over the course of the past two years, and now finds himself inside the top 150. What a credit to the former UNC All-American on his rise. And, you know, again, for what it's worth, he is the favorite to capture that challenger event this week in Bernie Rinky, currently 43.6%. Duckworth next closest, 30.6%. Pullman's 20.2%. Shimizu, who Rinky is a significant favorite against in the semis, uh, 5.3%. With that said, Kablins, for the first time, Vashik Pospisil is no longer the favorite. It's Roman Sefillian who earned an impressive three-set win over Escoffier in the round of 16. He'll now take on Vatutin. Uh, in the quarterfinals, you have big server, big lefty, Max Martyr, dangerous on this surface. Pospisil, still the favorite to advance through the top half of the draw. Boy, a pospisil Sefillian battle. And by the way, Romo, who was one of the top juniors of my generation, dealt with so many different injuries, but not the biggest guy. So good at tennis. Just again, like a guy who knows how to craft points, a guy who's clearly had a racket and had success with that racket in his hands since he was seven years old. And then, of course, the last challenger happening in Tenerife, Lloyd Harris remains the overwhelming favorite, 60% chance of winning the event, according to Tennis Abstract. With that said, again, the stage is set. It's going to be a jam-packed championship weekend across levels in the tennis world. Hopefully, all of you tennis fans will have the opportunity to binge whichever level of tennis you prefer, whether it be the college tennis action, challenger-level action, tour-level action, Davis Cup action, you name it. We'll see it all over the course of the next few days. And, of course, we will be back here tomorrow to recap it all as well. In particular, again, I'm going to break down each of the four challenger quarterfinals we see unfold in Cleveland as I will have a front row seat to all of that action of course again coming up over the course of the next few weeks here at Cracked Rackets we'll have ITA national indoors previews and coverage on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel and 
you know, again, we'll have mini breaks day in, day out. Great shot podcast throughout the week. We've got some really cool cracked interviews planned, so be on the lookout for that. If you want to hear more about the new Netflix docuseries, Breakpoint, you can go hear our breakdown of each of the first five episodes. Myself, Gil Gross, talk about it over on the Inside Out podcast feed. We've got a really cool guest coming up on that Inside Out podcast feed as well, so be on the lookout for that. I believe, dropping on Friday. With all of that said, of course, a shout-out to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.